Welcome to another episode of the NPCs Discuss, where we talk about the video game industry, events, history, controversies, and more. On today's episode, COVID-19 and its variants continue to cause delays to in-person gatherings, and for us in the gaming sphere, many a conference and event have moved online. The likes of E3, GDC, PAX, and many others have had to rethink their approach to an event without risking the health and safety of thousands of people. The efforts to move their events online were swift, and were not without some compromise, but it was also a chance to branch out some offerings that many regular people didn't get to experience unless they made the pilgrimage to the conference center. Because many of these game publishers and developers have found their niche in online events, could we see the days of E3's and GDC's past be just that, in the past? This week, the NPCs ask, what is the future for in-person gaming events? We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor, Anchor.fm. And we're back. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the NPCs Discuss, where we talk about video game industry, history, events, controversies, and more. My name is Travis Sherman, and of course, as always, I am joined by Kyle Inman. Kyle, hello. What's up? Well, we have ourselves probably a very uh, quick NPCs Discuss this week, uh, talking about in-person events because it was just this last week or maybe the week prior that E3 officially announced that they had scrapped their in-person event and are going back to another online format for the third year in a row. Which, of course, isn't shocking, but I mean, are we at a point where the in-person events are totally necessary anymore? I mean... We we look at other conferences that have gone on to an online showing exclusively, and the success of the Summer Games Fest and the Game Awards that have been, for the most part, online, um, especially as of recently, and the success that they have generated. So, I mean, other than the the fans, which. It seems to be the where they they have kind of catered the events to be uh, generated for more. Who are they for anyway anymore? Because initially these events were were press expos, basically press and industry experts. Yeah, so right. yeah, so E three, so, yeah, like like we could talk about this here. I think I think I have a good understanding of the breakdown, but because you used to work at GameStop, I think you have a better idea because. Mm. It was E3 was specifically for press and for industry members where like example oh, yeah. GameStop, of course, I remember is that you guys would have groups of managers who would actually go to E3. And sometimes those of you uh, like sales associates, the floor associates and that would be able to maybe go as well. It wasn't guaranteed, but it was possible, right? Yeah, I'm going to say they, they had uh, initially when the company very first had started get, uh, giving places to employees. It started out that it was like, you know, a couple employees could go, but it was like you had to kind of enter in your name for a raffle and you still had to pay. But then eventually it was like, well, if you had the money, you could just pay and you'd be a representative of GameStop. So you got to go into a few more places than if you were a, a just average attendee, if you asked for the time off and went down there yourself but you were still paying for everything yourself. Okay. Okay. 
Yeah. So that was the E3 side of it. Then you have GDC, Games Developer Conference, which is, while it reveals uh, some new games and some new tech and that, it's really focused on the developer side of things. It's where those who are either uh, existing publishers, existing developers, and even brand new developers can all kind of come together and really start to like kind of market around and shop around the things that they're, that they're doing. But it also comes into play for those who are looking to, as those new developers, to join the industry. Like this is my this is my portfolio of the things I've worked on as like maybe like a, a character designer, or like a like a, a designer of some type for a game, you know, and they could go around and potentially find work that way. Granted, we would see some new games, but a lot of the focus was more on like what developers and publishers were actually just doing in general and allowing them to cross collaborate. And then you have PAX Penny Arcade Expo started by the folks at the comic series Penny Arcade, which is really the really the go-to one for everybody. It literally was bringing a slice of the video game conference world to the regular person. Not only was it just video games, but it was tabletop games. It was art. It was it was some of these other events. It was like Dungeons and Dragons, though, too. It wasn't just video games. It was basically embracing the entire community. Right. And they had brought it more. It was a it was by fans for fans type thing. So, you know, everything was more generated for what was popular with the fans for that year. So it it it. It had a lot of popularity generated and right off the bat and held a lot of popularity, which for something like PAX, I, I see that potentially being something that continues on because of the way the event was held. The fact that it did focus more on just video games, it was, you know, it had your board games, it had your tabletop games, they had events and competitions, um... I think they even had costume events, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think they also did have some sort of like cosplay events there too. But so it turned out yeah. to be more like a like going to an anime or comic book uh, convention, you know. But it had really a lot of the emphasis, like you said, by fans for fans. But it was really a lot more of the gaming community than it was right. like the the comic book community or the the anime community it was really where it touched base for right. a lot more people now but you are right though is that that's what we have for conference there's other things though too that were also done but maybe not necessarily at the scale of of E3 GDC PAX and whatnot well and there there's one that we're not mentioning for probably multiple reasons but you know they they have huge cosplay gatherings and events uh for for their uh, previous showings but you know even even then because of what's gone on with that particular company <coughs> blizzard who knows if they'll have in-person events anymore right and but with their in-person stuff it's like it's not even just the covid stuff they've got a few other things to work on that we're not going right. to really get into here i think that story has been pretty well like wrung yeah. out and like is out we there. don't need to yeah. Beat the dead horse. No. So. No, we don't. So now that we've kind of given a breakdown of like what those different events are really like targeted towards, let's kind of talk about like what we've seen these events evolve to. So I remember back when like back when G4 was originally on just your standard uh television. I know of course it's back now, but when it was back on, you know, TV. 
I remember that my first true exposure to anything out of E3 besides reading the magazines, and that was actually watching live coverage of E3 and the conferences, like the, the big conferences from like Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo being hosted on G4 and actually taking time off of work to get together with some friends to sit back and actually watch that on TV and see all of the big announcements in real time because YouTube wasn't that big. It wasn't doing any live video. Uh, I right. think Justin TV might have existed at that time, the precursor to Twitch, but I don't think they were doing anything, though. So, you know, that was where my first kind of like foray into actually experiencing the new things was. And I've got to imagine it was the same for you, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I don't think I ever had the opportunity to take time off of work. I know I did catch a couple of the the events on like days off, but you know it it was it was a special thing like when i knew they were going to be on and if i could get the day off or if i already had the day off i i made it my day about that event you know it it was it was special because i got in touch with the industry you know it it made me feel closer to everything that was a, actually occurring right there you know yeah and that's that's how i felt with it too and then of course being able to to sit there like where my experience was with it was with friends where it's like a big trailer announcements coming up. It's like, everybody goes quiet. And it was like the announcement of skyward sword was a big one. Um, I think there was the halo three trailer when that, um, no, that, that came out, that trailer dropped. I think, um, the one I'm thinking of dropped when I was in, um, I was actually in school and when I was on a break, I was able to watch it online, but no, they're, they're, like Skyward Sword was one of the ones I remember, but being able to actually sit there mm-hmm. and watch and experience it with people was just such a very unique thing at that time. Well, and, and share the parts of the trailer that, you know, did you catch that? Oh, can you believe they're going to do that? You know, it, it's, or, you know, even just that was so cool, you know, and have that moment to share with another person. It It was really cool. But even then, it's still not necessarily an in-person event. And the fact that they're generating that success now even further. Yeah, because it's like they've really like the the rest of the events have evolved. Like we're at the like even before uh, COVID hit, Sony completely broke away from E3. And so did Nintendo to host their own mm-hmm. non-E3 events during the same time span that E3 is happening. Well, and I think before COVID, it was like Sony hadn't been part of them for five years. I think so. That's uh, what I was about N- to say. Nintendo for like three. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's that's about the same time frame I was thinking. Without actually looking up the, the dates on when they first started doing the stuff separately. Yeah, it was that. But then we were at that point, though, that G4, of course, had still continued to do some of the videos. Uh, but then, of course, G4 went out. And a lot of these other platforms had started to move into streaming these things themselves. Like during E3, of course, you could see GameSpot, IGN, uh, uh, Engadget, The Verge doing all the different live streams of E3 without having the need to, you know, use another provider of any sort like that because the actual event itself handled the video content. But that also led to another unique advent of where certain certain outlets were getting exclusive content where a you know GameSpot would get to announce you know this exclusive game first you know or you know uh 
just as an example, oh, if you only watched it on Nintendo's uh, live stream, you would see this particular trailer or, you know, that you would hear about that particular content for a third-party game. Yeah, it's very similar to the way that, like, um, regular broadcast uh, television channels have, like, the exclusive rights to different things. Like, NBC does the Olympics, and you only see football on, like, CBS, Fox, and NBC, but you don't see it on ABC, and... And so on, you know, it's like it is that exclusivity and that kind of just is what drives ad revenue and um, engagement in that, though, too, because that's just a way for them to do it. But even with that part of it being done, though, is that you still have the companies like I'm going to call out Microsoft here because Mm -hmm. they had because they had decided to go ahead and start moving to actually offer a Xbox channel on their console i think starting with like the xbox 360 and you could tune in to the their e3 events like right then and there like when they had their big e3 event you could live stream it just through your xbox you didn't have to use another platform like youtube or ign or GameSpot and use their video services to actually see it you could just use your console and they really targeted that by saying if you're on an xbox 360 download this app and you'll be able to tune in to our conference right when it starts, you know, and that was one of those ways to target it. And I don't know if Sony did the same thing. I don't know if we ever saw like state of plays or events actually go where you could stream them on the PlayStation, like through a special app or anything. I know Nintendo, you can't, but I couldn't remember anything on the Sony side. Do you remember? Um, not, not that I remember. No. Okay. Of course, I, I like I, I don't play my PlayStation as much as I ever, ever did my Xbox and, you know, as much as I play my Switch, so... Right. Well, I, I just found it interesting, though, at least kind of bringing it up on how exactly these places are kind of, like, distributing their content or at least getting it out there to the masses. Um, I mean, there's even one point in time where Sony actually had a... Uh, an experience where they did a movie theater broadcast where they actually sent it out and you could actually go to a movie theater and watch this PlayStation event at the theater. I seem to remember something like that. Yeah. It was hosted by like fathom events, I think, or something. And they're one of the ones who do like the, the concert broadcast to movie theaters. It was one of the same setups. Right. So they've done stuff like that and branched out to something different. But again, that's something that didn't rely on a conference. That's something that didn't rely people to be there except maybe the press. Now, it's this is where it's starting to become clear, like more and more clear, that the engagement for some of these events does not require an in-person experience. And that's kind of why it's like I was saying there at the beginning that this might end up being a quick episode because we're already kind of at that point now to talk about what we're seeing in these in these events. And I want to start off with what happened in uh, 2020 with the beginning of the COVID pandemic, Mm -hmm. where E3 had to scramble and shut down and decided to do their E3 event. But what they did is in tandem with the E3 event and, and what you actually saw, especially from the likes of like Microsoft, is that demos for games that you were only able to play at these events ended up becoming available in certain time blocks to download and play on your Xbox while, Mm -hmm. you know, while at home. And that was something that was normally exclusively reserved for people who would actually go to those events. Like these weren't just like, it's not, it wasn't everything. 
but it was a nice subset of demos and games that you could check out without having to actually have made a trip to the event itself and paid a lot of money to get in. Well, and here here's something funny now that you mentioned the the game demos is um Devolver every year for the past I I want to say at least 5 years has had their their Devolver Expo that they run in tandem ar- around the same time as E3 and ga- Summer Games Fests. And uh it, it's usually just a short like 45 minute or hour long presentation. But at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, or I, I guess kind of mid-beginning of the pandemic for, for the U.S., um, they they released Devolverland Expo, the game, as part of their, their Futures, Futures, Future uh, plan uh, for that year because that was kind of their theme for that year. And it was literally a game demo that... It was a first-person shooter. You walked around this expo that was closed and opened up and played game demos. I was not aware of them doing that, and that sounds really cool. Yeah, no, there were parts where you had to sneak around and stuff. It was really neat. I, I actually I pulled it up on my uh, Steam just to, to see that I, yeah, I still have it available to install. See, and that's such a unique thing that... You know, a company probably would have come up with that at some point in time, potentially, like even without the pandemic. But it just feels like that's kind of what like drove things ahead, though, is to innovate and to adapt to the changing circumstance to provide the same service that you're you were originally getting in a different form. But now you're opening it up to the masses. And see, and I think that's where you're wrong. You're not providing the same service. No. okay. you're because you're reaching more masses. You're providing more service. Because you are hitting that those different populaces that you would never have hit before. I mean, you're. I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I you're really not wrong on it, though. But uh, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to say anything there. You're not wrong. Okay, I, I don't know. I, you, I just. Fe- I feel like yeah. It, <laughs> you're, you're just you're hitting so many more people, and you know you feel. I, I feel like in the last couple years, the the. Uh, the masses that actually game have grown so much more and the the variety of games um i think we will see in the future are going to be expanding and it is going to affect the the um fact that we might be losing the in person event and it is sad but at the same time i think it is going to bolster that that new extreme to to where you know, developers have to come up with something to to show off their product to make it the best to to say, hey, come come buy what we have to offer. Yeah, and it's it's just interesting to think about what exactly we did get as a result of the pandemic, and that goes back to the to the demos of things. That goes back to um, mm-hmm. that goes back to the events, the way they held them, though, too. And I really have to commend one company here more than any of them on the way they actually handled events, and I think it's got to be Nintendo. And oh yeah, it's it's Nintendo had already been doing their own thing anyway for a while. Like the fact though that they went from they had already gone away from an in person event even prior to the stuff with uh like or or yeah prior to the pandemic when they left doing the E three press conference that they had 
they went specifically to doing it as a Nintendo Direct, what they call them, their their actual yeah, live or the Nintendo Treehouse or the Nintendo Treehouses, exactly. What you ended up getting with that was, while it may have been pre-recorded, um, sometimes, like besides like the scheduled directs, you just get shadow drops of directs just out of nowhere. Yeah. Like seriously, like between mid. 2020 mid to late 2020 all the way through at least the first half of 2021 it felt like we just it was like out of nowhere it's like oh crap nintendo's gonna be putting up a direct it's gonna start in like half an hour it's like where was this yeah it's like where was the news what on five any games of this? are gonna get announced exactly and it wasn't like they didn't announce anything that was um obscure or bizarre or anything some of it was some very core titles and core movement on things that we didn't actually expect to see yeah and it it wasn't just necessarily what five games are going to get announced it's what five games are going to get announced and drop that minute you know that's very going to be available right after they make the announcement they're going to say oh by the way check the e-shop it's there or check the e-shop you know we the game will be out in this many months but we've got a demo for you to play right now and all your progress carries over I can't I can't tell you how many times they've done that over the past two years. Oh, absolutely. And that's why I commend Nintendo for that type of stuff, because I think the targeted and planned things is never a problem whatsoever because it gets people aware and gets people engaged and gets people excited. When you do these shadow drops, though, of a of a direct like that, like what Nintendo did, it just always it just always felt like a good surprise. Like it was something that's like, oh, man, Nintendo's done this again. It's like, no, it's like. It was like being a kid and being told that you're going to Toys R Us and here's 50 bucks to spend in Toys R Us. And yeah, it was you get that, to pick out a video exactly. game. Exactly. It was that it's type like, of what? yeah, it was that type of like like euphoric feeling of course that it's like oh my god, we're going to get some new news from Nintendo. And, and like not every game they announced was like like oh my god, I'm going crazy for this. No, it was they were, you know, it was very targeted. It was very specific on what they were announcing. Like they had their indie direct, they have Pokémon directs, but it was all very, very well-targeted, well-timed, and well-informed, like at least in the sense of the information that they actually did give us. So that's where I commend them. Um, you know, I think for outside of Nintendo stuff, I think some of the other things we saw, though, too. I mean, you talked about Devolver stuff. Um, I think the uh, MineCon events were also really good, too. MineCon Live was really good. I think Microsoft, mm-hmm. with their acquisition of Mojang, really did help to – kind of develop some of that stuff and um, really kind of help with the production on things too, especially as it comes to um, doing a Minecraft event online like that, instead of it just being the in-person, you know, there's just a couple there, but where we've kind of been talking about, at least like what the topic is on this is, is with all of that mentioned, what happens next? What is the next phase of things in, the world of in-person events like what stays what goes away what could we potentially see come back or or, or excuse me like come forward like like what's going to be like maybe the next thing that could come up that didn't exist prior to the pandemic and just what overall happens next i suppose like i want to hear your take on it my my serious theory is uh i think during event times and it'll probably be either you know a 12 hour block or maybe a 20 or you'll get the full 24 hours 48 hours 72 hours whatever how long the event 
runs um, available to potentially, if you want, besides watching the the offerings on whatever your your choice services, whether it be Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, or whatever platform, you might be able to join a a cloud queue to demo some of these new games. I think that's where we'll be at here in the future. And it, it'll be more, at the start, it'll be your more common games that are going to be your AAA titles that, you know, everyone wanted to play at the, the show anyway, you know. Of course, Call of Duty is going to be there for whatever reason, you know. But, you, you know, we'll also get to play some of those indie titles that, you know, like we got this last year, like, It Takes Two. Who would have known that game would have blown up so big? But, you know, in the future, we might be able to hop in a cloud queue, play with some rando for, you know, 20 minutes and and develop something there and say, whoa, this game's really cool. I don't care when it comes out. I want to buy it because I just got to wait in line and hear about it on the computer while I was getting ready to play it. Okay. Or maybe even a picture-in-picture mode. Maybe they'll have this whole platform. You can just download an app separate inside the the Xbox dashboard, inside the, the PlayStation home screen, inside your Switch home, that you join the app and it'll play something like presentations you can join and, as well as play demos. That might be a little far off for our current gen switch, but I think PlayStation and Xbox they got this one in the bag. <laughs> I was really hoping you were going to to clarify on that because yeah, I don't think the switch is going to do yeah. it. I think the switch would probably blow up in your hands if it tried to do something like that. <laughs> right, well, it might melt. Well, let me go ahead and add, uh, or at least like kind of take what you said there. I've got a little bit of a different take on it though. Is that it's not necessarily queuing up for the demos, but now that Microsoft has put on. Um, uh, cloud gaming right onto the Xbox that you don't have to use your phone for the cloud streaming stuff. You could play games through the cloud on your mm-hmm. Xbox. And it really opened up a lot of games for people on older Xbox hardware. The Xbox One really like, you know, the first gen being being a prime example of that. With the advent of that, I actually see, just like you said, an app of some type, but it's all cloud-based though still. But you open it up, and every single thing game-wise, you can just have access to whenever. You may only get to play it for like, okay, you get a 30-minute playtime on this one. You get a 30-minute playtime on this. But you don't have to queue up for it. You can just go and launch it and just play. And especially if it is something multiplayer-related, then you can just launch it and hop in and play with whoever's you know playing at that point in time. Whether they drop out, you know, a new one drops in, whatever. You can at least still get that experience that way and... I don't know, maybe with voice chat, maybe with whatever, you're still interacting and engaging with other people. Or take that same thing with the demos and make it like you just said with what Devolver Digital did. But instead of being that first-person shooter thing, is make it one of those experiences where you're walking around as like um, an avatar character of some type and Whoa. interacting with those different things. That, that does get it. E3 tried to do this whole app thing, and it failed miserably well, so the but, so the only difference though with that though is that the only reason i say that is because the avatar thing you had to create an avatar and i did it i never used the app because it was a pain in the ass i used youtube all the time I, this last so week. i see so i see the difference though more than anything is that like let the people who actually make that stuff normally 
handle that. Like with the Xbox line, like if you still have your Xbox avatar in place, like my Xbox 360 avatar, I think is still there and around. I just, I I haven't gone and messed with it in years anyway. So it's probably still there. But what I'm saying though, is that's like use something like that and that you're walking around. It's similar to like that Xbox museum thing they did this last year for the 20th anniversary where you could walk around, look at the history of the Xbox, then go look at your own personal achievements across all the Xbox as well. Um, you know, you could do something like that and still interact and engage that way. And then uh, whatever Sony could potentially do, like what they've done, like with Astro's Playroom um, or, you know, some other sort of community thing. Because I know they had PlayStation Home at one point in time, which was supposed to be their counter to like um, what Nintendo was doing with uh, what was it? The, the Me Channel, I think, or whatever they had. The Me. I, I can't yeah, remember the name of it. It was, was kind of like the Me Channel, yeah. just more robust. It was like Second Life meets Me Channel. Exactly. So that's kind of what I see is that you would be able to go into these ev- events and walk around with like, you know, your uh, your pre-created avatar or whatever it is. But, of course, it's managed by those platforms. You can go in and check out the events. You can go and do all those different things and still be able to enjoy the experience with other people. However, even with that part said, though, because of all this other push on some other things, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's going to happen one way or another. (sighs) I see it being one of those things where Facebook gets involved or excuse me, meta. And this becomes a metaverse thing that you throw on a VR headset and you are quote unquote walking around the conference floor the showroom floor to look at all these different things. And it's like, Oh, we're going to make it quirky and fun by setting up arcade cabinets that you go and Oh, go and interact with. And it brings up a demo for you or you go sit. I avoided saying VR chat for that. Or you go sit in a virtual, or you go sit in a virtual chair and look, there's a virtual version of Phil Spencer and Shigeru Miyamoto on stage to, to show you the thing while while for some reason you dressed up as Master Chief or sitting next to Hatsune Miku and down the row for some reason is Doom Guy dressed up like man. Isabel from like <laughs> from Animal Crossing. I'm just saying it's like I don't think it'd be anything like like that necessarily like with the the character um, avatars or anything. But I'm just saying though is that that could potentially be another part as more and more adoption of VR becomes a thing and this whole idea of the metaverse stuff. But don't get me wrong, I am not for it right now because I don't own a VR headset first, like first and foremost. I don't have one yet. I know I will probably own some, like own one sometime here in the near future. But even with that said, I just I don't know exactly if they could do something like that now. I don't think the population's big enough with VR headsets to actually do something like that. And That's why I'm really more inclined to go with like my idea of the be your avatar, go walk around a a digital conference floor, interact with other people, play demos that way. You know, that would be, I think, the future besides the actual just live streams of the conferences and um, interviews and such. Yeah, that also being said, I I don't feel like we're going to see the entire end of in-person events. I feel like PAX... An event like that will come back. It'll it'll come back strong because it is, you know, for for gamers, by gamers, for the players, by the players, you know, it it's the people that, that wanted to wanted all this stuff at the event, they host that well, event. And and you know I'll tell you right now, Kyle, we'll plan on it that 
I'll make sure I got the money saved up. You make sure you got the money saved up. You and I will go to PAX and we'll do a we'll do an NPCs podcast or live stream from PAX. Um, if it comes back to an in-person thing, we'll aim for next year to go. Okay, I'll tell you that right now. Okay. I'll start saving. Start saving my pennies. I'll try. Anyway, anyway, I didn't mean to derail <laughs> there. You are right. You are right that there are going to be some in-person events that are going to come back. I think there is one that is not. And I think it's going to be E3. And that's E3. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I think yeah, though I fully agree. I, I think that E3's problem is that it went from being the press and industry event to being more like because they opened it up to the public in like what 2014, 2015, I think is when they actually allowed the public to start coming in and attending the event, just you know, like paying and going. I think it was a little bit before that. I could be wrong, but hmm. At any rate, yeah, I mean, even so, the ESA just let it get away from them, and it. I think that's part of what it actually killed the event is they let the event run a little too wild, and the the expense of actually trying to go and show your games to the event got away from from them and from what you know the developers had anticipated over time what they would have to spend to actually attend the event. And then it, it just, they, they saw the advantages of expense in putting out something that was quality online that could reach more people. Yeah. I, I see that as being exactly it is that it's, they lost their way and they lost a lot of the, the things that made E3 one of those like experiences that you could watch the stuff through G4, you could watch the stuff online, but it's like you had to be a part of that industry to actually go. And because of the way that they set up the event, booth babes and um and like non-game event type things that were happening there, like no offense to any of the any of the women that worked any of those booths whatsoever, it's like you, you're doing your job, you're you're being hired to do these things here. But for being a part of like a gaming event, though, is just it's I don't know. It just seemed like it, it took away from like what the overall focus was on on the event was to, you know, to drive up excitement and support for the games and to really like, you know, drive that engagement. Whereas it became more of like a regular I, I don't know exactly how to describe it. It it got too I, I don't know what the word would be. It just got too far off from what it was. Showboaty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It showboat yeah. is yeah, showboaty is I know that's probably not even actually a word, but yeah, a lot of showboating yeah, from I, I don't that. know, but I, you you're absolutely right. And it, it's funny that you say booth babes because the advent of booth babes and uh happened before it became a public event and it died shortly after it it was a public event. So at that point, it it was almost like they were trying to make it a public event. They were trying to to drive this fancy, you know, this unattainable thing to people that, you know, if you can get tickets to here, it's awesome. But is it really that awesome when it, it just becomes expensive for the 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 developers and the publishers to to host these little booths that that cost exorbitant amounts to rent and to power and you know for games that could potentially flop when they 
they they could have shown it online and gotten a immediate feedback from an audience right then and there. Absolutely. Absolutely they could have. Yeah, it's I'm very flustered by the fact though that that's what we really saw like E3 become, but you know, out of what E3 was and what the rest of the market recognized is that we actually still got some other great things out of it. You know, I mean, packs wouldn't have existed without all the hype behind E3. It's like, let's make something that the fans can actually get to. And all the separate things that the other game companies do. Some of the coolest announcements were made at E3. You know, just walking across the stage. And it was almost like a mic drop moment, you know, announcing the Xbox, you know, an- announcing the Wii. You-, you think back to these historic events that in-, in gaming history. Yeah, like when Reggie Fiamme had pulled out the uh, Nintendo DS from his pocket. And it's like, here it is, and folded yeah. it open. And of course, it wasn't the final model, but it was very close to what we were actually, what we actually got. And I agree, it was just, whoa, wow, you know? Yeah. And you get some of that, though, too, like... I mean, we had uh, Game Awards in 2019 when out of nowhere we got the announcement for the Xbox Series X, you know, and that announcement threw everybody off because nobody knew what it was going to be because they showed like it broke down really weird. It's like they showed the sports part of like FIFA or soccer or something like that. Then it broke into a car driving run. It's like, oh, maybe that, you know, it's like, oh, it's a, it's weird. What's that? And then Master Chief appears running towards something. And then you just get this, this, as I'm looking you know, as I'm looking behind your head right now, the refrigerator shape, like, <laughs> like rectangular prison thing. And then boom, the Xbox Series X, you know, you're getting that experience still. And it didn't require well, even E3. going further back, even going further back, you know, to polarize that moment, Microsoft making the announcement of, you know, the, the Xbox one. And they're saying all these things like it's gonna burn your your serial number into the disc, and it's it's gonna cost this much money. And you know, Sony turns around and they just walk on stage, and they're like three ninety nine, and walk off stage. And it's like, what? They're gonna outdo Xbox by launching at a lower price, and it's gonna outperform it. And that's all they have to say is just, oh, here's the price. See ya. Right, <laughs> but. What we've already seen now, though, is that it's got it's still at that point, but it doesn't require E3 to make that happen anymore. It doesn't require yeah. that, and that's you why can make, people make these power plays, and it happens exactly. in an instant, and all social media knows about it, so it spreads like wildfire. Exactly, exactly. Like I was watching, um, I was wa- the reason why I brought up the Series X announcement was because I was watching. Uh, what was it? Power, the story of Xbox, uh, that whole miniseries things they miniseries thing they put out to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Xbox, and they had both of those exactly. They had one where they talked about the Xbox One announcement, and people, of course, confused and perplexed by the announcement. And then they had the mm-hmm. Xbox Series X announcement, and another one where it was just like they actually had clips of live streams of people like watching it and freaking out about it because it's like they see this trailer for something and it's like they can't piece it together. And then they see Master Chief and it throws them even more off. And then it's just here's this this hologram of a of a console or or whatever it is. And it's like new console. Again, it and people lose their mind just the same way they lost their mind with the 360 when they saw Master Chief returning. And it was like 
oh my god, it's happening. He's coming back. Exactly. You know? And so that's why it's like I'm just like leaving it at that part right now on the E3 side is that that's why I see E3 going is because they've done their part. They got too ahead of themselves, and I don't see them being able to step back to what they were because so many other great things have spun off from what it once was. And it's like it's time is done. We are we are ready for the ESA to just step aside and let these other things yeah, flourish. Because unfortunately, now these other outlets they can do it better, and they've shown us that. Yes, they have, and I think that's everything for us to talk about with this one, isn't it, Kyle? I believe so. Well, that was a short one. With that, of course, that is it for this week's NPCs Discuss as we talked about in-person gaming events. If you do like what you are listening to, of course, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice. If you want to find out what all of those different platforms are, be sure to check out our homepage over at anchor.fm slash the dash NPCs dash podcast. Of course, if you are a member of the video game industry, whether you're a developer, publisher, you work in game sales, anything of the sort, please reach out to us and we may actually have a spot for you in one of our uh, upcoming NPCs Discuss episodes where we can interview you and, of course, talk to you about whatever that topic happens to be at that point in time. Drop us a line on social media or uh, drop us a line, of course, on uh, our email at the npcs.business at gmail.com. Speaking of social media, we're on Twitter and Facebook at the NPCs Podcast. Be sure to go check us out on there and follow along for when we post new content. And of course, go check out our YouTube as well. Uh, all the links for those are going to be on our anchor.fm page. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to this week's episode. We will catch you all next week. Laters.